0: Let's go to God. Let's go to God. Let's go to God. We're starting a series this morning on the theme of Jesus as our great priest. And I've been thinking about this the last well, last couple of months. Loving the theme. Absolutely loving it. So hopefully it'll be a, an encouragement and inspiration to you. But let's just start thinking about priests. Okay. Do you know what a priest is? If I ask you which church are these folks from, would you be able to tell me? The first one, Anglican priest. Second one, Orthodox priest. Catholic priest. And the fourth one, Levitical priest from the Old Testament. Okay? So we're very familiar with using the term priest. <coughs> but there's immediately a problem when you come to the Bible. Because in the Bible and the New Testament, the church leaders are never, ever, ever called priests they might be called overseers they might be called elders they might be called deacons and eh, they might be called apostles evangelists pastors teachers but el- you know they're never called priests and yet i mean the first three there represent the majority of the christian world they call their leaders priests so i don't want to upset the majority of the Christian world this morning. The majority of my Christian brothers and sisters. Um, But we never call our leaders priests. And there's a reason for that. And it is because the New Testament doesn't do it. It is because uh, leaders in the New Testament are called something else. Never priests. In the Old Testament there were priests. Those who were of the tribe of Levi were the priests. Those with the family of Aaron within the tribe of Levi were the high priests. There were priests. And this is a high priest, the the person on the right there. Obviously it's a a mock-up really because we don't have pictures of the real priests because the last one of them operated 2,000 years ago. But eh, we don't have priests and here's the reason. We've just read this. Day after day, every priest, Old Testament priest, stands and performs his religious duties. At the time the Book of Hebrews was written, oh, Jesus had died, risen again, sent the Spirit, the Church has begun. The temple was still standing for a little bit longer, just a few more years, and then it would be destroyed by the Romans, and the sacrifices and the priesthood would end, as yes, it did, and end as we can see for for history. But while he's writing, they're still doing it. And he's just, he paints it in this sort of sense of it being just a really weary thing. Earlier on in the chapter, you know, uh, verse, verse one, they repeat endlessly, year after year, he says, the sacrifices. Day after weary day, the priest stands and performs his religious duties in the tabernacle and in the temple again and again he offers the same sacrifices what's the point they can never take away sins so what it's saying is any priest that ever were didn't actually achieve anything in terms of removing sin or bringing people to God they were there because God told them to be there But they didn't actually change anyone's relationship with God themselves. And what they did, their sacrifices, didn't do that. But when Jesus came, this priest, and he had offered for all time one sacrifice to cover the Old Testament and the New Testament period, he sat down at the right hand of God. He's done his job. His priesthood works. So I find it strange that, you know, you would call a, a church leader a priest. Because this is saying, the priest didn't achieve anything. The priest didn't actually uh, make anything happen in terms of people's relationship. They were there just as a picture of Jesus. And what he would do. But when he's come, you don't need them anymore. And they were taken away. So, why, why, why? Why call anyone a priest? Well, priests are supposed to bring us to God. And perhaps the reason why churches do still call and leaders priests in many situations is because we know we need someone to help us to come to God. We need someone. All of us have that sense. We might deny, we might pretend it's not there, we might pretend God's not there, we might you know might pretend we're doing fine, but actually deep within us we have a sense we need we need God we need to come to God and where is he how can we ever find him we need help and uh, you know it's always easier for us to bring things down to our level and call a person that's just like us a priest maybe they can help us maybe they can bring us to God Um, but we need a priest whatever that's a, a bottom line thing in the Garden of Eden story Adam and Eve are walking with God they don't need a priest <coughs> then they do one thing against God, they break the relationship with God by disobeying and eating the fruit that was forbidden, now they need a priest, they need someone to bring them back to God right there and then because if they were just to go God themselves then um, the problem is they're going to keep on doing more wrong and they're going to keep on making the relationship they have with God more and more impossible uh, so God banishes them from the garden he says they've done one thing wrong the next thing I want to do is to eat from the tree of life, another thing wrong and then another thing, they want to come into the garden and into my presence when I say you can't do that anymore they need a priest they need someone who's going to be able to do for them what they can no longer do for themselves that has come to God it's a delusion to think we can come to God ourselves. And these people say, "You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to walk right up to God and give him a peace of my mind." I heard people say that. What world would you be living in to think that would be possible? We need a priest. We need we need help to bring us to God. Later on in the Old Testament story, Israel came to Mount Sinai after they left Egypt. And, and God is on the mountain, hidden in that glory cloud. And God says, "Don't touch the mountain." You know, it's, it sounds strange that, because you, you wonder where the mountains begin. But in the Sinai desert, the mountains just drop straight into the sand where and you can't actually see where the mountains begin. Don't touch the mountain. Don't don't think about trying to get up the mountain to where God is. And you know, you can't do it. You need a priest. You can't. Don't do it yourself. Or you will die, God says. Don't do it. And then God gives him on Mount Sinai the tabernacle and the means by which he can be in the midst of the camp. And the priests whom God gives to them Aaron and his family, the high priests and the Levites, one of the 12 tribes they're in the middle of the camp and they're bringing the people to God because they need a priest. But no one is allowed into the the most holy place in the tabernacle except the high priest. No one else ever was in there except the high priest. Uh, If any Israelite thinks, I'm just going to go and walk in there, he'll die. She'll die. Don't do that. Don't ever, ever try to come to God without a priest. We can't do it. It's impossible. God is totally and absolutely off limits to us without a priest. Uh, Because... We're so different to God. We're so sinful before God, and He is so holy before us, so glorious and pure. So we need a priest. But the second thing is, we can't do ourselves. We can't walk up to God and say, "I, I you know, I, I want to be my own priest. I want to represent myself to You." We can't do that. Nothing we do. Is priestly. None, nothing. We cannot. We can't present to God our sacrifice please him. We can't prepare ourselves in a way that makes us acceptable to God. In church, nothing we do makes us acceptable to God. None of our prayers, none of our good works, eh, none of the uh, ways, of, the things we say, uh, the ways that we try and serve God. None of these things are priestly. They don't bring us to God. They don't make us acceptable to God. They don't close the gap between us and God. We can't be our own priest. We can't do it. We mustn't ever try to be uh, our own priest. Um, Never try to approach God on the basis of what we do. So, we just read as well. Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, God did not desire, nor was He pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. So the priests were there, doing their work, offering their, their sacrificial animals and birds and sacrificial offerings of, of different crops and, and, uh, didn't please God. That's what it says there. It didn't, God didn't want it didn't make any difference to the relationship he had with the people. So why was it there? Well, it was there because God said he wanted it there. Because he wanted to prepare people for the one who would peace. For the one who would offer a right sacrifice. For Jesus. But nothing that the ordinary people did. Nothing that the priests did. Nothing that Aaron did. uh, Nothing that the Levites did. Actually made any difference to the relationship that the people had with God. Because nothing anyone can do, can do that. If Aaron can't do it, you can't do it, I can't do it, none of us can be a priest for someone else or for ourselves. We just cannot do that. Don't try it. Don't do it. Don't think about it. Don't ever think to yourself, What I'm doing now is going to make God like me. It's going to make God please me. It's going to make God accept me. It's going to make God forgive my sins. Don't ever think that. Because the Bible just tells you it doesn't work. Whatever your offerings are, your sacrifices, your sin offerings, God doesn't want them. not pleased with them as an offering. Don't ever come to God and think, I'm bringing you something so that you'll forgive my sins. I'm bringing you something so that we can be close. I'm bringing you something so that I can get to heaven. Don't don't do that. It's, It's priestly. And you can't be your own priest. And you can't be someone else's priest. Even Aaron. Even the Old Testament priest. What they did, it was just a picture of Jesus. Didn't actually change anything. Didn't make anyone better. Didn't bring anyone to God. Didn't forgive anyone's sins. Only Jesus works as a priest. Only Jesus. So... I mean, we can examine ourselves for a minute in this, in this light because it's a great temptation to be your own priest and we, we might do it very easily, let's just say here you get up in the morning you've had your breakfast, you sit down you open your Bible quiet time and you read your passage you think about it maybe you take some notes Pray. Pray about what you've read. Pray to God. And once you reach a certain point, you feel, done it. I've done my Bible. Reading, I've done my prayer. You feel good. You think, God's going to please me. Oh, that's priestly. That's priestly. It's not like that. It's not going to change your relationship with God. It's not going to forgive your sins. It's not going to make you a better person. Before God. It's not going to... It's not going to reconcile you to God in any way. You need Jesus for that. Everything has to be about Jesus. Don't don't think to yourself that you're doing something that is going to get God on side. Only Jesus can do that. Don't try and be your own priest. This is a passage you're going to look at especially. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way opened for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, we have a great priest. We we must not try to be priests because we don't need to be. We couldn't be anyway. Uh, you know whether we're you know priests by name in a church or just think of ourselves as doing something to make us acceptable to God doesn't work only Jesus only Jesus makes us acceptable to God we have a great priest and he goes to God for us he enters God's presence, the most holy place in heaven for us he goes through the curtain with his body as a sacrifice for us we do have a priest who can take us with him into God's presence but we'll think more about that another time so this is a passage that I really want us to focus on I said last week try and memorise it maybe you already know it but try and memorise it well, Margaret said you would be able to read this. We've got a white version too. White or black? Black bear? Okay. White? No, someone said <coughs> Okay, we'll try, we'll try one with black. I'm gonna try and make it a bit more Hebrews 10, verse 19, 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, say it with me, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God, with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water Okay. so hopefully we can get this uh, memorized if, if we don't uh, maybe you know it as already as I say I know we've had a conversation about memorization in the past and you know People say, I I can't remember anything anymore. And then they'll go and tell me a conversation they had in the call, blow by blow. But how did you remember that? Well, you can remember things. We need to sometimes just spend some time thinking about them. So the heart of this passage is the, the red words. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let us draw near to God. That's our exhortation. That's the the kernel, that's the the force and intention of this passage, you and me let's draw near to God, let's draw near to God and let's do it as individuals but also just a few verses on it tells us about not giving up meeting together as some are doing but let's keep meeting together, let's do it together we're coming to church to draw near to God To draw near to God together. God is offering us a way, not through us, not through what we do, not through how good we are or the sacrifices we make, but through Jesus, He's offering a way for us to come to God. A way back to Eden, if you like, a way back to God's presence for us. And the question is do we want this? Do we want to come to God? What is the alternative if we don't come to God? Well, watch this space. What is the alternative? If we don't come to God, we grow up, we grow old, we die, and it is appointed for man once to die, and after that to face judgment. We'll read that verse next week, just at the end of Hebrews chapter 9. That's their prospect. A prospect to live live a life without God, to die a death without God, and to go forward without God into God's presence without peace is to be separated from God and never to be reconciled to God. So why would we not want to draw near to God? And Sometimes of course we might say well why would I want to? What's in it for me? No. Well I feel better. If I draw near to God, if I come to church, will it make me feel better? Will it make me a better person? Um, if I pray, will my problems go away? Will God take away my debt? Will God take away my illness? Will God, uh, you know, make, make that person treat me better? Uh, and we're thinking about the gift and not the giver, like we're saying to the children. We're thinking about wanting God's gifts without God. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to draw near to God himself, so that the attraction for us this morning is not what God would give us today because we're in church. We're not priests. He may not give us anything because we're in church, but He may give us something because he's good, because he's gracious, because he's generous, because He loves us, because Jesus is our great priest. The attraction then for drawing near is God Himself. And I want to close just finishing thinking we finished today thinking about that. God, for God's sake. That's the attraction. God, for God's sake. For the sake of God, let's draw near. Not for what we're gonna get out of it, how we're gonna feel, how our problems are gonna go away or whatever but for God himself he is the attraction you know the Metro Goldman Mayor um, Roaring Lion you see at the beginning of films and there's a little motto above it it's a Latin motto Ars gratia art for the sake of art art doesn't need a reason to, to um, exist beauty doesn't need a reason to be beautiful. Beauty is just to be in joy. God for the sake of God. David knew about this. We sang this, crazy. We sang this in Psalm 27. Um, why did David want to go to the temple? Or to the tabernacle, we should say. Why? This is what I see and we dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty or pleasantness that's what the word means the pleasantness of the Lord and to seek him in his temple so David said, I'll go to the temple and I'll just gaze God's beautiful I draw near to God because he's beautiful I love God I love him I go and I contemplate God. In 2015 uh, was our 25th wedding anniversary. So that tells you something about how ancient uh, I am now. But Margaret remains young. We went to Paris for the weekend. And it was actually a wonderful time. When you're in Paris, I only had, I think, three full days, but I remember, when you're in Paris, you gotta to go to an art gallery. So, you know, you feel that like duty as a, as a tourist, gotta to go to the Louvre. But the Louvre is just too big. Only three days, so I didn't go to the Louvre. But there was another museum, Musée d'Orsay, on the other side of the Seine. We'll go there. The Impressionists. We'll do the Impressionists. So I we went to Musée d'Orsay, um, it's a very impressive place and it was packed out with people and you know you do your thing if, you, if you've ever been in an art gallery and you feel you've got to be in an art gallery in Paris so you just you kind of walk past the pictures you know what I mean maybe take a few pictures if you're allowed, and then you've done your job job done, art gallery scene today's the art gallery scene and uh, we can go now but about half through this is philistine. <laughs> This, this uncultured light from Kyle, or Amis, do not blame Kyle, blame this, this uncultured light noticed that some people were just standing in front of one picture for ages with a kind of rapt expression on their face. Wonder. So I started watching these people for a while. That was interesting. And then I realized, actually, I shouldn't really be watching the people. I should be looking at the picture. So, I planted myself in front of this picture, which was a very, very discerning thing to do. You'll all know that this is a red wine, And uh, this is one of the most famous paintings in the world. Well, I didn't know that at the time, but I planted myself in front of it. Big picture on the wall. drawn into I absolutely spent ages still looking at this picture you know there's there's lots of human dramas and you wonder why is the guy in front there got sort of spots on the back and think of course there's leaves in the trees and the sunshine through and you look at all the different people and the expressions in their faces and dancing and the place is called the Moulin de la Galax in Paris with a dancer. And I thought about Renoir. He must have spent hundreds and hundreds of hours painting this painting. And I thought, well if we might spend hundreds of hours painting a painting. Probably I shouldn't just walk past it. Probably I should spend a bit of time just gazing on the beauty. Just admiring it. It it's quite a revelation. It's very therapeutic, contemplative, refreshing, relaxing. And if a man spent hundreds of hours, it's hardly surprising if you do see something, if you stop and look. Well, God has been around for more than hundreds of hours. And God is bigger than a measure of hours days or years or time size or anything. Nothing compares to Psalm 89 to God himself. If it's worth standing 20 minutes standing in front of a picture it's worth drawing near to God. I'm just contemplating God for God's sake. Nothing compares To God. You might know this poem. What is this life if full of care we have no time to stand and stare? And it goes on. No time to turn at beauty's glance and watch her feet, how they can dance. A poor life is if full of care we have no time to stand and stare at the majesty and the beauty of God and draw near to God and contemplate God as David did in Psalm twenty seven. What is this like? If we miss that, we miss everything. If we take the gifts and miss the giver, we die. We're dead ready. We need to give God time. We need to draw near to God, not just for what we can get, not just on the hoof, not just a quick takeaway from a fast food outlet in heaven, but God Himself is beautiful. Let us draw near to God. That's what it says. Gaze at His beauty. And we can do this, not because we're great priests ourselves, we're not priests at all. Not because eh, we can come to God because he's very impressed about who we are, not at all. We can come to God and we can gaze because of all that our Lord Jesus Christ has done. as our great priest, our wonderful and our great priest. Gonna expand on that hopefully in the next few weeks. We've got a Bob next week to look forward to very much. But think about that in your life. No, can you stand and stare? Can you stand and stare at the beauty of creation? Can you stand and stare at God through Jesus? Come near to him. No, not just his gifts. We all know love, but the giver, the giver himself in all his beauty. Amen.